Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Center for Baptist Renewal podcast. I'm Matt Emerson. I'm joined by Winston Hotman and Luke Stamps. We're all on the board of directors for CBR. And CBR is a group of Orthodox Evangelical Baptists committed to retrieving the great tradition for the renewal of Baptist faith and practice. If you enjoy what you hear today, we want to invite you to check out our website at centerforbaptistrenewal.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at at Baptist Renewal and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Baptist Renewal. And don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. And so in today's show, we are discussing the next article in the Manifesto for Evangelical Baptist Catholicity, Article 5. And that article is titled Tradition Creatures, and it reads like this. We encourage a critical but charitable engagement with the whole church of the Lord Jesus Christ, both past and present. We believe that Baptists have much to contribute as well as much to receive in the great collection of traditions that constitute the Holy Catholic Church. We believe that we are traditioned creatures and that we should move beyond the false polarities of an individualistic modernity and a relativistic Postmodernity, and so just to start us off on discussion of this particular uh, article, I'll read what we wrote at the very beginning of our explanation of this, which is a quote from Cyprian. He has not God as his father, who does not have the church as his mother. Can we affirm that as Baptists? Is that legitimate? Can we even talk about tradition mm-hmm. as Baptists? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Calvin himself, who's not a Baptist, I don't want to confuse anybody here, but uh, Calvin, who certainly is a Protestant, um, affirmed Cyprian's statement. Um, so it's not just like a Roman Catholic thing to, to say that. Of course, Protestants have our own understanding of what that would entail, that the church is the mother of the faithful. It doesn't mean that the institutional Roman church is, obviously, for, for Calvin, and it wouldn't mean that for Baptists either. But I do think that Baptists can affirm this notion that um, the, the church is the one who, in some sense, gives birth to our faith. Um, I would not believe the gospel if it weren't for my parents who taught it to me. I wouldn't believe the gospel if it weren't for Brother C.W. Box, the pastor of Harmony Grove Baptist Church in Winfield, Alabama, uh, who taught the gospel to me whenever I was a child. And so in that sense, the church gives birth to our own faith. None of us, all of us have to believe personally, but none of us believe uh, in isolation from others. So faith itself, I, I would say, has both a personal and a communal or a corporate dimension that we come to faith through the testimony of others. And that's really what tradition is, all, all tradition is saying is simply that with the, the, the faith has been handed down to us from others. I think when most people hear the word tradition, at least in our context of kind of low church evangelicalism, Baptists and Baptistic evangelicals, uh, it's, it's almost universally negative. Do you, would you guys agree, agree with that? Yes. I mean, when people hear tradition, they hear uh, curmudgeonly old deacon who doesn't want to change the color of the carpet, you know? Um, and they, or they think, you know, some particular, you know, musical style or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so we, we're just not accustomed to thinking about tradition as something that 
is positive, that can be a, a positive um, conveyor of the faith, of something good and true. So yeah, and it's, we have to sort of rehabilitate what we mean by this word. Right. And so just jumping back to the Cyprian quote for just a second, uh, what we don't mean is we don't mean that, you know, when Luke said a few times the church give, gives birth to our faith. Of course, we don't mean that the church believes for us or on our behalf or uh, that the church is responsible for our conversion or anything like that. What we do mean, what, what Cyprian meant, and this is what Luke was, was saying, is that um, the church is the one who proclaims the gospel to us and then also nurtures us in the faith that we have received from the church. So in, in terms of receive, I mean the content, what we're actually believing. They're, that's the, they're the people who declare it to us. The church is the one who declares it to us. Uh, and so, you know, this is a scriptural metaphor, really. Um, in, in the Bible, uh, the people of God are called to pass on sound doctrine in a variety of ways. So you have the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, where uh, families are, are passing on the faith to their children. Uh, you have in the New Testament, the exhortations of Paul, the commands of Paul for older men to teach younger men, for older women to teach younger women. Uh, and in that sense, this metaphor is talking about the church as mother in the sense that the church is called to nurture the faith of believers. It's called to disciple them. The church is called to disciple uh, believers. And so that, in that sense, it's mothering. Uh, just as a mother nurtures her child, teaches her child right from wrong, teaches her child uh, in the way that they should go, and even feeds her child, both from her own breast and then later on uh, from the table that she prepares, the church also feeds the saints through the preaching of the word and the table of the Lord. And so that, that's what we're saying when we say that the the church is mother uh it's not this kind of you know as luke pointed out it's not a, a specifically roman catholic statement or an institutional statement it's a theological one and baptists are no different in that regard um, and so there's really a lot of recovery that has to take place a lot of retrieval that has to take place both both in terms of the place of the church in passing on sound doctrine and then, as Luke mentioned a minute ago, uh, the term tradition itself. And so we say in this article, we, we should engage in a critical but charitable engagement with the whole church. Uh, what, what would it mean to engage the whole church, both critically and also charitably? I think part of it begins with distinguishing our convictions about the nature of scripture and the nature of tradition uh, scripture being the word of god and tradition not rising to that status tradition being um, a subsidiary authority under scripture and a necessary means like we've discussed of handing down that faith um, but always remembering that these are human words these are these are human receptions of and interpretations of the word of God. And so it's the kind of um, tradition is a kind of conversation that we must join in with as we seek to understand the word of God, but also do so critically recognizing that it is subservient um, and is to always be read in light and critiqued by scripture. So. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, and I think we we have to sort of unwind a bit as Baptists, especially just how individualistic um, we've become as evangelicals, right? Um, just so there's some there's some cross currents going on here. There's the Baptist movement that begins in the you know in the 1600s in England. We come to America. You have the revival movements of the 1700s and the 1800s that shape low church Protestantism more broadly, including Baptists. And so sometimes we just kind of have to unwind. What does it mean? Unwind a bit. What does it mean to be a Baptist? You know, because a lot for a lot of people, it means something that that is very individualistic. Uh, whereas if you probe a bit deeper into the Baptist tradition, you realize well that actually wasn't what the earliest Baptists were saying about the nature of the church. I mean, you have um, a very strong emphasis in, in in early Baptist history, the first couple hundred years of Baptist history, on um, church discipline which is kind of jarring, right, to our modern sensibilities when we think like, no, it's the individual, I believe what I want to believe, no one's going to tell me what to believe, and then you read Baptist history and you find out churches were telling people what to believe, (laughs) you know, like, and if they didn't uh, conform to orthodoxy, then they could be excommunicated from the church, right, this doesn't seem like, it does. it's not fitting the script of this sort of hyper-individualistic, you know, it's just me and Jesus, uh, kind of approach that then the, the church is almost seen as a, as a, as a discrete and subsequent step, even, even like our gospel tracts put, put it this way, right. Where we have, um, you know, a, a, a presentation of the gospel, God is holy, you're sinful. Jesus died for your sins, repent and believe in him, pray this prayer. And then on the back, right, literally on the back of the tract, uh, as almost a footnote, Oh, by the way, you should join a church. So that we see, um, you know, just, as, just almost like just like a spiritual best practice. You know, hey, you're already a Christian. Good for you. Praise God. Uh, but what, you know, what might be helpful for you in your growth is to join a church. So that we've yeah. severed discipleship, uh, in a sense, the making of disciples from the body of Christ. And it just becomes, um, you know, uh, an individualistic thing with the church as a discrete second step. And that's just not the way that the earliest Baptists, certainly that's not the way the New Testament would have understood these things either. Like to be, but you have frontier missions context, right? There is no church whenever, you know, Philip evangelizes the Ethiopian eunuch, there's no church in Ethiopia. And so you have these kind of frontier missions context where there's some unique things going on with, you know, kind of this immediate baptism and so on. But once you have established churches, it's the church that is the, the seedbed, right, the, in, in which the church grows and, I mean, in which the faith grows, where, where people are nurtured, discipled, where evangelism um, takes place and, and the, 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 the sort of the hub from which evangelism uh, emerges as people are scattered out into the world. So I, there's a, the New Testament and, and then also the early Baptists had a very churchly faith. That I think is very this sort of lost on us if we just uh, take a snapshot of American evangelicalism in the 20th century. Yeah, I, I see this in specifically in terms of biblical interpretation, where it it it's assumed that to be Baptist means that you're asserting the idea that every individual Christian should take the Bible, almost lock themselves in a closet, you know, tune out every other voice. And read the Bible for themselves. And that's that's what it means to be a, a true Baptist committed to the supremacy of the word of God. Right. And like you said, that that misses actually the, the authority of the local church, which was at the heart of the early Baptist movement. 
And what's interesting too, is that uh, as I've seen many of my friends or colleagues transition from the Baptist tradition to um, specifically those who have uh, become Roman Catholic, that they have left because that's what they thought was what it meant to be Baptist. They're looking for some kind of ecclesial authority and they, they, they assume that what it means to be Baptist is to just have a thousand popes, you know, interpreting the scriptures for themselves. And so, so they're looking for some kind of stability, some kind of guidance. And, and you know, it's part of our job here is to say that's, that's not what it's about. That, that's, that's not, if you're leaving that, you might be leaving a, some kind of contemporary distortion right. um, of, of a Baptist evangelicalism, but not what has historically characterized the Baptist movement. That's right. And, and often this kind of approach where it's everybody go lock themselves in a room is uh, <clears throat> posited under the guise of be a Berean, right? So in Acts, as Paul's preaching the gospel, um, he tells the Bereans, hey, look, you can go check for yourselves if what I'm right. saying is true. Uh, and and we we have, I think, misappropriated Paul's instruction there to mean something he didn't mean. Um, so I, I, I don't think that Paul means in that passage, something along the lines of, you know, everybody is their own authority. He, he's, he's preaching with authority. In fact, the authority given to him by the risen Lord Jesus, which we've already read about at the beginning of Acts, right? If anybody's interpretation of the Bible is authoritative, uh, it's going to be Jesus. And then those that he calls as apostles uh, in the book of Acts. And so, you know, Paul's preaching with every authority that is possible for a human to have. So it can't mean that, you know, they're supposed to go and just be their own popes. And not, not that he's being a pope either, but that's not what he's saying. Right. Yeah. Instead, it's like, I'm not going to force you to believe what I'm saying. I'm not going to coerce you to, to agree with me. You can go look yourself and see if I'm right. He is right. We know he's right. Yeah. It, it, can't, it can't be that Paul and the Bereans are all in the same hermeneutics class. And it's, you know, who's going who's gonna to come out with the best grade or the best interpretation? <laughs> Um, instead it's this kind of like, it's actually a, a fairly Baptist thing to say in the end, really a real Baptist thing to say, which is, I'm not going to coerce you to follow Jesus. I'm not going to yeah. coerce you to, to agree with my interpretation of scripture. He knows he's right, but he's not going to coerce somebody to agree with him. That's a really Baptist thing to say. Yeah. It's, it, it's not a, it's not a Baptist thing to say though, that everybody gets their own, you know, say in what the Bible means. Right. That's not a Baptist yeah. thing to say, and that's not what he means by go be a Berean. So I think we've sort of misappropriated that. It also, uh, going back to what you, both of you said, it also misses what is central to Baptist life, especially since William Carey, which is the Great Commission. Right? When, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says um, to, to baptize them and teach them everything I've commanded. So this command to teach, to incorporate people into the body of Christ, and then disciple them is endemic to the Great Commission, hmm. which is, of course, what Baptists sort of, you know, plant our our identity in is the Great Commission. So I think we've just sort of lost some things, which I guess is what we're trying to do here is retrieve. So right. we've lost some things and need to recover them. We need to 
think better about some of the passages we, we go to often, like the Abrians. Uh, it doesn't mean what we're, we usually hear um, and, and rethink those things together. And so, you know, in terms of what Winston said a minute ago, uh, you know, we want to say again, we affirm the supremacy of the word of God as the only supreme authority, uh, authority in faith and practice, sola scriptura. We've talked about that in a number of episodes. Um, and that means that we can engage other traditions critically. That is, we can uh, read about them, understand them in light of and under the authority of God's word, including our own tradition. So that's what it means to read other traditions critically. It doesn't mean like a kind of uh, snarky attitude. It doesn't mean, you know, uh, disdain for other traditions. It doesn't mean disdain for our own tradition, but it does mean understanding those traditions in light of the only supreme authority, which is the word of God. What does it mean, though, when we say that we can engage traditions, <coughs> excuse me, charitably? Hmm. What, do, what do we mean by that? How do we engage uh, traditions charitably, including our own tradition, uh, does charity mean we're just wishy-washy and, you know, hippie, I don't know, Christians? What, what does that mean? What does it mean to engage charitably? What are some examples of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was struck several years ago when I read um, Richard Mao's memoir, where he refers to Christian denominations by way of analogy, sort of like distinct holy orders within the church. So he's thinking, he's thinking, especially like in the Roman Catholic context, you have, you know, Dominicans and Franciscans and Benedictines. We don't have monks in the Baptist church. Um, but, um, but so you may, you know, for us, it's the, the analogy may be sort of lost on a lot of Baptists, but, uh, but within the Catholic church, you know, you have these distinct uh, monastic orders who have sort of distinct emphases, you know, um, and and they each sort of bring their own gifts to bear uh, to, to the church. In an analogous way, Mao suggests that the different Protestant denominations are sort of like that, right? So you have, you know, the, the Methodists, the Anglicans, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, and so on. And his point is to say, like, we the church as a whole would be impoverished if we didn't have the, the, the Presbyterian emphasis on the glory of God and the Anglican emphasis on the beauty of worship and the Methodist emphasis on, on the necessity of holiness and God's grace given to us to make us holy and the Pentecostal and charismatic emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And yes, the Baptist emphasis on religious liberty, the separation of church and state, uh, the, 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 uh, the dignity of, of the individual conscience or whatever else we would want to say, I think especially missions and evangelism, not that that's unique to the Baptist vision, but certainly it's something that's, that's a part of our DNA. And so if you view it in that way, like you, you, you can start to recognize um, not just where we disagree with these various traditions, maybe even over those very things, right? I mean, then that catalog that I just mentioned I would differ with the way Methodists understand sanctification, right? I would differ in some ways with the way Pentecostals and Charismatics understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it's not to say that we have just uniformity within the body of Christ, but it, it just simply is the case that, I mean, think about, think about especially like the charismatic renewal movements of the 20th century. It just simply is the case that the charismatic movements helped the, the main mainline denominations and denominations like the Baptists 
to remember, oh yeah, there's a Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if we had been paying attention to our own creeds and confessions, we wouldn't have forgotten that to begin with. But the, the charismatic renewal sort of helped us remember that we, we really need to be spirit led people, right? We need to be filled with the spirit. We need to be led by the spirit. And so that's just an example uh, that uh, I think that is probably common to a lot of our experience where an emphasis on being filled with the spirit then uh, permeated, you know, the different denominations of Protestantism. So anyway, we, we can appreciate that and admire that and be challenged by that and then seek to, to incorporate it, work it within our own tradition. So we're not trying to just have a pastiche of just kind of, we're gonna take a little of this, a little of that and patch it together and make some kind of monstrosity, right? But we're seeking to, to glean the, the, the insights of these other traditions uh, to, to validate them, to appreciate them and then to incorporate them into our own Baptist way. And hopefully the other traditions are doing the same thing, right? Instead of just sort of being at loggerheads all the time, the way that it often manifests itself on Twitter, where we have these weird wars between the Lutherans and the Presbyterians uh, and the Anglicans looking down on everybody and the Baptists ignoring everybody because we're the only ones who have it figured out, right? I mean, it's sort of, it's sort of like a script that uh, yeah. gets replayed and it just need not be that way. I have two thoughts related to that. I mean, the first is I love the image of the gift exchange because I think one of the concerns that a lot of people have when the E word comes up, you know, ec ecumenism, is that somehow this involves a diluting of our own identity. But when you're talking about a gift exchange, that, that involves a process not only of appreciating the gifts that other traditions offer to us, but discerning more deeply what are the gifts that define us, that we have to contribute to others. And, and like Luke said, you, you receive those gifts not as a means of becoming something different, becoming some weird like pastiche of, of gifts, but to how, how do you incorporate that into your own identity, which you now more solidly understand because you've engaged in this, this, this process, this conversation, this exchange. Um, and so it actually, I, I think it reinforces our Baptist identity. The other thing I was going to say is the, the verse that comes to my mind in terms of thinking about how to engage charitably is James 1.19. Let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Um, I grew up in a, an independent fundamentalist background that believed that the post-conservative resurgence SBC was a hive of liberalism. I mean, the, the post-conservative um, resurgence SBC, we thought of them as liberals uh, for a variety of reasons. And, uh, you know, now I, I, I work here in an institution that was at, at the core of that, uh, that movement. And, uh, you know, I, almost, I just have to laugh at what we thought of them. But that's because we never actually took the time to listen to what they were saying. We caricatured them. And, and we do the same things as Baptists with... Roman Catholics, yes, there are like fundamental differences and very, uh, you know, important differences for us to realize, but caricatures of what they believe, caricatures about those differences, um, evidence a lack of humility and uh, um, an unwillingness to stop and to listen before we speak uh, across the aisle. Um, and also typically involve the kind of wrath that James is condemning. So. I feel like th that verse in itself, the, in, in those three aspects really, I think, comprehend the kind of disposition that you need to have to engage the tradition charitably. Yeah, I'm and glad I'm, I'm glad nobody thinks the SPC is full of liberals anymore. 
Yeah, that we probably need to reevaluate. Re like, how just how far away are we from those independent fundamentalists? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting some PTSD from the current conversation. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there's actually, you know, there, this is not something that we probably should tease out, but because I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just not an expert in this area, but it seems like there's probably a an anthropological or sociological point to be made about the way that you put that Winston that as we receive gifts from others and as we give gifts to others we understand more about who we are so that it's actually in a, a social way a relational way that we come to understand ourselves and uh, you know there's probably there's probably something to be said there from an anthropological perspective, theologically, there's probably something to be said there sociologically as well, that if we remain sort of isolated within ourselves, we're not only hoarding our own gifts, which would be selfishness, but we're also not putting ourselves in a position to understand ourselves more and, and in better ways, uh, which is, you know, a combination of narcissism and isolation and, and the rest of that. So um, that's something to tease out, but not right now. Maybe I just thought that was interesting uh, the, the way you said that. So, um, okay. So we also say in this and Luke hit at it just a minute ago, but maybe we could dive a little bit deeper uh, or, or just give some more details for just a second. Um, we say that Baptists have much to receive from the Christian tradition. And I feel like we've talked about that a lot, especially over the course of the first four articles. Then we also we say we have much to contribute to the Christian tradition. And so uh, Luke has mentioned a few of those. Maybe we could just talk a little bit about what Baptists contribute, what our particular emphases are, how that's been picked up by other traditions. What would you say to that? Well, we did that one episode on the bat on our Baptist distinctives, um, and that you know was an earlier article in the manifesto, and I, I think that's probably a good place to start um, thinking about the things that again they're not totally unique to us, but it's sort of this combination of things taken together that really is distinctively Baptist, right? A, a regenerate church, uh, believers only baptism, uh, congregational government and religious liberty, which entails, you know, a particular understanding of the church's relationship to the state, right? So the separation of church and state and so on. Um, but just, just sort of like the, as I said earlier, like the, the dignity of the individual conscience, um, which, you know, we tend to think about more in terms of like the enlightenment and Thomas Jefferson, you know, or James Madison or whoever uh, in an American context. Um, but, I, you know, interestingly, the Baptist movement was born a century before um, the revolutions of the 18th century, um, and you know it's it, it has in a sense has its own. I mean, it's still in the same milieu, but it has its own integrity as a as a, a theological and intellectual movement that predates what we know of as sort of uh, you know modern liberal democracy. Um, so that that's that's something I think that has it worked itself into modern liberal democracies and the other traditions as well. So that, you know, even the Roman Catholic church in their own way, um, in a post conciliar, you know, post Vatican II context, 
um, affirms the importance of religious liberty and so on. I don't want to be too triumphalistic about this and say like Baptists invented this. I mean, you, you had the Anabaptists who were emphasizing it before. Uh, and then eventually, you know, all of the different traditions come around to affirming it. But it, it does seem to be uh, part and parcel of a particular Baptist uh, social vision that we, we, we have this distinction between uh, the church and the state. We have, and this is an undermining of Christendom, right? Um, which, you know, we could talk about in terms of both strengths and weaknesses, but it's, it, at the very least, it's, it's been um, influential on the church writ large. Um, and, and even again, even if you don't go all the way with us, right, even if you're not, you don't become a Baptist, right, um, the, 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 in, the emphasis on the necessity of personal conversion, and by that I don't mean like a, a conversion experience, I'm not talking about some kind of dramatic revivalistic experience, but just the, the necessity of a converted life. Again, this is not unique to the Baptist movement. But it is, we are sort of at least just a reminder to our Cato Baptist friends, right? Um, just a subtle reminder to say, not that they couldn't have, you know, arrived at, at this through their own traditions, but, but, but maybe our presence is an additional reminder to say, hey, you really need to disciple your kids, <laughs> you know? I mean, that, to the point that like, we, you, you can't just assume that they're okay because they're covenant children, right? I mean, I, I'm not trying to be polemical here because again, I, I appreciate and admire many, uh, I have many dear friends who are paedo-baptists and understand, I think it's a biblically defensible position. I understand where they're coming from and I'm not trying to undermine that, but it's sort of, you know, the, in our own way, Baptists can remind the whole church that individual personal conversion is necessary, even for those who were born to Christian parents and are raised in the church. Again, not that they couldn't have arrived at that, you know, through their own traditions. But I do think the Baptists have that unique gift to bear, right, as, as sort of a, a challenge to us all to, to uh, disciple our own children. Yeah. And, I, you know, of course, we, you already talked about uh, emphasis on missions and evangelism. Uh, there's a, a case to be made right. that the modern missions movement is largely a product of, of Baptist life and thought. And, I, I mean, obviously, we could talk about problems inherent in that project but you know in terms of the the vision and the desire that is to see the nations reach for christ i mean there's nothing to critique there right and, yeah. and, uh, you could in terms of methods and uh how that was tied up with statecraft and the rest i mean sure we could talk about all that but in terms of the vision to reach the nations for christ in terms of the heart for the lost those sorts of things uh that's traceable to uh, early Baptists and also I think has been adopted in large part by much of the rest of uh, Christianity. I mean, you even have Rome right now talking about quote unquote, the new evangelization that they, they actually need all Catholics to go and evangelize to bring other people into the faith. Um, and that's not something you necessarily would have heard about um, before from Rome. Uh, so uh, all, all that, I'm not saying it's a one-to-one -one correlation or, or uh, causation us to them, but um, just in terms right. of the spirit of, of evangelism and missions. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Catholics have their own history of 
of missions through the Jesuits yep. and, and so on. But it is certainly a reminder, right? I mean, again, it's a reminder to the church, the Baptist passion for missions and evangelism. Right. I, and I just think we need to, maybe this, maybe our listeners especially need to hear, uh, if I can dig into this a bit more, like a, we just need to hear sometimes like a, a reminder of the strengths of our own tradition. And by that, I don't just mean Baptists, like capital B Baptist, but even like evangelicalism, right? And I know this is sort of wading into some, some you know, controverted <laughs> territory, I guess. Um, but I think that, that we don't need to lose sight of the strengths of, if you don't like the term evangelical, fine. I'm not talking about like something political or racial or whatever. I just mean like conservative Protestantism that, that, that maybe is not necessarily um, associated with like confessional Protest the confessional Protestantism of like the Presbyterians or, or, or the Anglicans or whatever, but just sort of low church Baptist, Baptistic evangelicals. Um, there's just a lot to be said for the vibrancy, the spiritual vibrancy of those kinds of churches. And if you want to know like what that looks like, it might be worth asking someone who 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 made uh, the 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 movement from a high church, let's just say like a very traditional church like Roman Catholicism to evangelicalism and ask them why and how it looks different. I think sometimes we sort of focus on those high profile cases where someone who's uh, more intellectually sophisticated or culturally sophisticated, uh, sometimes for those reasons feels the need to convert to Rome or to orthodoxy or whatever. And like I think I've said before in this podcast, I don't begrudge anyone their spiritual journey, but I think we sometimes focus on that and we kind of have this almost like an inferiority complex. You know what I mean? Like we think, man, you know, like the, we're sort of losing our, our, our best and brightest to these high church traditions. But actually there's a, a whole lot of folks who come the other way. Um, and, and I was talking to somebody just the other day who grew up in a Roman Catholic church. I'm not trying to be critical of all Roman Catholic churches, but I'm just saying uh, this person's experience was coming to our church they had never been around people who sat around in small group Bible study and talked about the Bible, what it meant and how it applies to their lives and prayed for each other and asked how they could support each other. That kind of, that, that kind of communal, like where everyone takes their faith seriously. It's not just about going to church and receiving something, but it's about the whole body of Christ being on mission, being in ministry together. Just that spiritual vibrancy of the evangelical movement. I think it's something that we just need to remember and celebrate again, not, yeah. not begrudging anyone else their, yeah. their, their experience. Yeah. We don't I, need I, to I, self-loathing that we can't say, you know what, there's a lot that we should be no. thinking about our own tradition. Yeah, you know, you know, I think it, it, this is true of every tradition, honesty, repentance, confession, all of this is necessary, both individually and corporately, but there does seem to be kind of this sense of almost like a, an effort to, um, outdo each other in terms of flagellating ourselves for being evangelical and using that as kind of a mark of maturity. Yet we, we look out on the evangelical landscape and think, well, I'm not like those evangelicals because I berate, or <laughs> berate myself or, or, or this tradition um, more than the other person. And, and 
being sensitive to, like you said, of all the issues and, and, and legitimate concerns, there, there can be a certain self-righteousness, I think, in that um, and a failure to appreciate what the spirit is doing among uh, conservative Baptist or more broadly evangelical churches. So. Right. Well, I mean, that was my own journey. I grew up in a mainline church and, uh, it, it, you know, it's a little bit of a halfway uh, house story kind of thing where sort of, I don't know what you'd call big church or non-kids church or whatever was very staid, stoic, uh, liturgical, but in a lifeless sense. Uh, it was just repetition. It wasn't, it wasn't rhythm for growth. Uh, yeah. And <clears throat> nobody actually believed what we confessed and, and this sort of thing. Um, I mean, maybe I shouldn't put it that way. Perhaps people believed it intellectually, but it, it, it didn't communicate that into any kind of experiential uh, change, you know, and, and, and then in kids church and then youth, there was vibrancy there, but it was, it was vibrancy that wasn't uh, rooted in reality. It was more like um, just sort of frenzy. And again, there were faithful people in both of those contexts, and I don't want to denigrate everybody at the church, but but it was just a, it was like both of the things that we always hear about. There was sort of lifeless liturgy on the one hand, and um, frenzied experience on the other hand with that was rootless. Um, neither one of which is sufficient to, I think, ground our faith for the long term. And so my my I don't like calling this conversion because it wasn't like I was becoming a Christian for the first time, but my change from being mainline to Southern Baptist was rooted in both of those things that in Southern Baptist churches, I experienced life uh, in terms of people's really true belief in the risen Lord Jesus and what they said they believed was seen and how they responded in worship. At the same time, there was a rigorous and serious engagement with sound doctrine and, and a, you have people who cared about sound doctrine. And so it wasn't just frenzied experience unrelated to doctrinal fidelity or, or what the teaching of, of scripture or what scripture teaches. Uh, on the other hand, it was full of life, you know? So I, I think that, you know, like both of you have said, we, a lot of times we sort of act like we have to apologize for being Baptist. I'm not apologizing for being Baptist. I'm glad to be a Baptist. I think right. we have a lot to contribute. I don't yeah. think that means that everybody else doesn't have things to contribute. It just means that I, I think, I mean, there's a reason I'm Baptist right? and that I stay Baptist. And it's because of our commitment to the word of God as a supreme authority over faith and practice. It's because of our emphasis on personal conversion, local church autonomy and religious liberty. It's because of our commitment to evangelism and missions. And those are things to be proud of. Those are not things to be ashamed of. I right. think that everybody, every, every tradition has to reckon with its past and its present in order to step into the future. That's not just true of Southern Baptists. It's not just true of Baptists at large. It's not just, you know, it's not just true of Protestantism. It's not just true of Roman Catholicism with the recent sex scandals. It's true of everybody. Everybody has to reckon with their past and their present in order to step into the future. And so, you know, what I want to say is, yes, we can recognize the problems, as y'all have said. Yes, we can recognize the problems. But we can also be proud of our, uh, of the, of the 
good parts that is the parts that are rooted in scripture of our identity right yeah and and recognize that that's it's easier for some people to say than others and i think we we want to be sensitive to the ways that churches have uh, abused people sometimes sometimes sexual abuse uh sometimes spiritual abuse um so that people have traumatic experiences with the church and we we just need to be sensitive to that and not try to um not try to rush people into some kind of right. false reconciliation with a church. Uh, and that's certainly not what we're saying. I mean, any, listen, anyone who follows me on social media knows that I'm willing, I'm not, it's not like I'm unwilling to critique my own. In fact, I, I, I think we have a, in a sense, a heightened responsibility to police our own side, right. Um, to, to, to say, Hey, the, not, not to say I'm not that kind of Baptist or I'm not that kind of evangelical, but to say here are problems in our own, traditions that we recognize and we're, we're dealing with. Right. So I, it's not, it's not a matter of just kind of a status quo, you know, no criticism can be made. We have to be like party men. It's our team, yeah. us against them. You have to be loyal to the brand. Not, none of that. Right. We're loyal to Jesus. Right. And we are all seeking to be uh, transformed into his likeness, according to the scriptures. Um, but at the same time, right. We, that doesn't mean, it's, I mean, we just live in this world where it's just sort of this binary choice. You either, it's, it's sort of, you either uh, demonize uh, your own tradition or you demonize the past or you lionize it. You either cancel the past or you canonize it, right? And so we, we just don't have the kind of uh, spiritual and intellectual maturity, I think a lot of times to be able to say, it's always both, right? It's always a bit of both. There's always something to celebrate. There's always something to critique and something to reform. And it's not just true of evangelicalism. It's not just true of Baptists. Uh, but as Matt said, that's, that's where everyone is, right? And so you might as well just bloom where you're planted. I mean, unless you become convinced of, of some other position on the, the merits of the position, uh, if you remain committed to the Baptist faith, you think it's it's most faithful to scripture, then don't be embarrassed by that. Don't, don't make apology for it. But at the same time, we, we recognize that there are weaknesses that need to be corrected. Which brings me to our final point, which is that the last Jedi is awesome. Because on the one hand, you have, I'm doing this. You have Kylo Ren, who is like, the past is terrible. Get rid of it. On the other hand, you've got Luke, who's like embittered. Everything's terrible. There's nothing good. And then you got Ray, and she's like, "Let's let's figure out how to make these things happen. Let's figure out how to appreciate what's good and leave out what's bad. Chew the meat, spit out the bones, plunder the Egyptians, etc." And that's because, as Protestants, back to the Bible stuff, uh, as Protestants. We are under the word of God, which is always reforming us. We recognize where we're faithful to scripture, and we also ask the spirit to help us continue to recognize where we need to change, to reform, Mm. uh, to be transformed, whether that's in our faith or our practice or both. So, I mean, and this is why, so just to end on a, a Baptist note, this is why Baptists believe that, um, we should be Baptists because we believe that that semper reformanda cry 
was not applied fully ecclesiologically by the magisterial reformers. And so we took it to ecclesiology with respect to governance and credo baptism. I mean, not, you know, none of this is intended to convince anybody to become Baptist. Um, it's also not intended to slam people who aren't Baptists. It is intended to say, though, that, that those are our commitments, and that's what we mean when we say critical but charitable. Um, we don't mean that that we're being critical just based on our own authorities, but based, we think, on the authority of the Word of God. Charity, recognizing the fruits of the Spirit in, another, in, in others, is also a result of us submitting to the Word of God. So uh, that's what we're after. So I'll close us uh, as usual with the grace. And if you're listening and you want to say it, follow along, etc. Feel free to join. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.